0: Shani Jamila, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Lineage. This show is actually part of my practice as a conceptual artist. My work, which is made in response to centuries of family records meticulously researched by my genealogist grandmother, explores ancestry, identity formation, and the idea of home. On Lineage, I host intimate, in-depth conversations with fellow socially engaged Black artists about these same themes. Today, my guest is the phenomenal photographer and sculptor Fabiola Jean-Louis. Fabiola was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti and moved to New York at a very young age. Her practice is focused on experimentation through the use of different techniques, disciplines, and art styles, including sculptures made entirely out of paper. Her love of Afrofuturism, science fiction, fairies, history, and folklore are central themes in her work. Today we'll talk about her life growing up in a Haitian family, her ever-expanding practice, and more. And now, on to the show. Alright, so let's let's begin at the
1: beginning. You were born in Haiti. I was born in Haiti. Mm-hmm in 1978, Mm -hmm. um, and left shortly after that. I was around two when we, when my family left and, um, we came straight to Harlem, uh, to be with the extended part of the family. And we moved, I would say somewhere around 1983
0: to Brooklyn and
1: been, my parents have been in that same home since. So Same telephone number, same everything, <laughs> yeah. Um, the rotation of the family members that live there, of course, has changed. But yeah, we, we have some strong roots here in, in Brooklyn.
0: It must be really nice to have that kind of rooting.
1: It is. I mean, it's, it's nice at the same time. There's definitely been a journey of uh, rediscovery you know, um, and movement. You know, my sister lives in New Orleans and she's been there since I would say like 2002. Um, I lived in Miami for 10 years, since 2001. Now I'm back. Um, And so we've moved around and now there's like more trips happening to Haiti as a family. I went to Haiti again, I would say what, three years ago? And that was 19. I hadn't been to Haiti for 19 years.
0: That was when you got married, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, that was before I, before I got married. I, I would say the year before I got married, I, I did my first trip since 19 years. Wow. Um, back to Haiti. And yeah. So, you know, it's like it's great to have those kinds of roots here in New York. Um, but there's definitely been the sense um, in our family that there's there's uh, reconnections to be made with the family, with culture, with Haitian identity, things like that.
0: What was that like after 19 years? I mean, two, two is such a young age to have left. Do you have any memories, like your earliest childhood memories of Haiti?
1: I do, I do, We, I spent I spent um, a full summer there or two uh, as um, a teenager or before I was a teenager. So there's definitely a lot of memories of Haiti. And, you know, I, I definitely, I grew up speaking Creole and, you know, nothing, nothing out in, in the house was you, you couldn't tell that we had left Haiti in the house <laughs> So <laughs> Haiti there. but um, when I went back uh, three years ago for the first time again it was as I remembered it um, it was very eye-opening and it was intense it was really it was really intense beautiful scary like so many things Haiti is is so many things
0: which part are you from port au yeah and what does it mean that your your house was like Haiti when you grew up was it in terms of food or art or
1: how did you how did you feel that as a child the language the food the music um, everything really everything I mean my mom is a very spiritual person and so there's there's evidence of that all over the place you know, from the scents that you smell that she wore and, and the things that she burned and things like that. Um, the food was always Haitian food, of course. Um, and there's a lot of French speaking in the house, a lot of Creole speaking in the house. I, I mean, my parents, we had to teach my parents how to speak English. So hmm. by default, it meant that we, my, me and my siblings were fortunate enough to, to learn Creole And, and, and hear French a lot because they didn't speak English. So we were speaking, you know, English and and other languages at home very early. So uh, that was great because that meant that we, we got to, to be fluent in those languages. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, it was just a typical, if there is such a thing, typical Haitian family (laughs) in America. Um, And it was great.
0: How was it um, in terms of your identity formation outside of the house? Because um, I know New York has a really strong Haitian community, but in the '80s and '90s there was so much drama around the idea of being Haitian in New York, in particular.
1: How did you How did you experience that? Girl, that's such a thoughtful <laughs> question because that is true, so true. Um, it really did impact my my Haitian identity, and which I think became evident later on, when I went back to Haiti three years ago, you know, this need to deeply, deeply reconnect, because back then, um, it was bad to be Haitian, you know, it was all Haitians have HIV AIDS, it was all these stereotypes about Haitians, you know, there was I can definitely remember many years when being Haiti, being Haitian wasn't cool, you know, people think it's dope now, right? Like you got Rihanna, you know, big enough Haiti and different people, you know, saying things about Haiti, but back then it was awful. And I found even more on a personal level than just how the outside world was seeing me as a Haitian girl. It was dealing with the idea or the fact that Haiti deals with um, blackness in the way that it does, you know, um, colorism is, an, is a problem. In Haitian culture, and and that definitely existed in my world, you know. Um, so oftentimes, it was if I was in Haiti, um, growing up as a light-skinned girl in Haiti, then you were treated like royalty. But then you come back to America, and you're treated like any other black person. And so you can imagine the kind of games that that plays with somebody's mind, right? Um, And I decided very early on that I I hated that. I hated colorism. I hated that we were judging each other in that way. Um, And then also, I felt very much cornered. Um, I felt like I wasn't Black enough when it came to, um, you know, hanging out with Black girls here in America. I just felt like, you know, yeah, you're Haitian, but you're not Black. It's almost like, you know, the othering of of Blackness within the Black community. Yeah. Um, all to say that it left me feeling um, isolated and it left me feeling as though I wanted nothing to do with any of it. And so I ran to the West Village. You know, that kind of culture just didn't matter. It was like, what color hair are you going to have today or tomorrow? <laughs> and... do you know how to skateboard are you an artist you know so i feel like those struggles that i had to deal with as a young black girl impacted um my desire to first distance myself from all of those things um you know title of black this black that i just want to be a girl i just want to whatever that is for me i just want to do that and i just want to be an artist um But I don't regret any of that, honestly, because sometimes we need to get away from the things that are important so that we can learn to appreciate them that much more and go back to them and discover them and rediscover them. And and I find that because all of those things happened, um, it really had me develop this sincere curiosity and love for my identity as a Black woman and my Haitian identity and culture as well. Um, so that was just my my journey of that I needed to take to to be where I am today.
0: yeah, beautiful. I mean, I think about it, you know, there is, I mean, obviously all of us have have phenotypical features that speak to where we're from, but then also your name as a signifier really says uh, Haiti
1: to me. do you know, do
0: you know what the story of your name is?
1: So I do. Uh, I know some. Uh, you know, it's, unlike unlike black families here in America, who ma- m- many of them can trace back, uh, you know, as far back as they can here in Haiti, they don't hold records well. Um, and so the information that I have about my name is really just passed down by family, you know, mm-hmm. stories and stuff. So it turns out, though, that my last name isn't actually Jean Louis, if we're talking about how names are passed down. Um, My last name is Ashley Ruiz, which is very interesting. Cuban. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're Cuban Cuban migrants that moved to Haiti, that lived in Haiti. And that's on both sides of my family. So my mother's father was born in Cuba, Black Cuban, -Cuban. Afro-Cuban. And I knew him. Um, But on my father's side, which is, you know, where this Jean-Louis last name came from, um, I, ne- I, I knew there was French and European because there's so many white faces in my in my family on that side. And even my father has a white face. But um, I never imagined that it was not Jean-Louis. Uh, so it turns out that my great grandfather uh, had, whose last name was Ruiz, had a family, a major family dispute. Um, and I think it might have had to do with my great-grandmother, whose last name was Jean-Louis. She was a white French woman or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this family dispute, he changes his name and takes on her last name, Jean-Louis, and disavows the last name Ruiz, which makes the rest of us Jean-Louis. So, what? Girl, this is fascinating. Uh, I know. So I only learned this, though, because I was doing my pre-med um, education, and I was in a in a special program... Um, looking at genetics and lineage and things like that and and so we were we we had to create a short story slash documentary on our families yeah I had to do a short story for that for that class so that meant interviewing my my parents and you know gathering stories to find out about the last name um so it's it's deceiving, though, because, yes, I have a very French Haitian last name, Fabiola Jean-Louis, right? But the reality of it is, um, it's Fabiola Ruiz. Um, and so, you know, the the plot thickens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. I feel like there's so much, you know, to be learned from those kinds of stories. And that's a hell of a story I mean, the love story. The A drama, love. the choice, the, you know, the disavowal, the commitment. Yes. The, can you imagine? It's so romantic. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. That's what people did back then when they got mad at each other and family. What? They just changed the whole last name. Uh, <laughs> and if I didn't ask questions, I would know the history of my family. That's pretty deep. <laughs> it is. Do you still have those interviews that you conducted? Um, I have them somewhere. And um, I'm actually starting it again because I feel like there's more to to learn. And um, my husband is um, he his lineage is is from the Vikings. So I'm like, and his neither one of his parents are living. And just mm-hmm. just looking at him as an example, I was like, wow, I still have my parents, and while they still have their memory and they can give me more information I better start a family tree Absolutely. so that's the next project yeah is to is to try to go back as far as I can with those stories and with the family tree so that these my kids you know don't have to go through what I had to go through to find out all of this stuff
0: yeah you know? it's really such a gift that's what my grandmother gave to me and that's the inception of this whole lineage project is you know going back through my family's genealogical records and responding to them and then mm-hmm. having these conversations with, with fellow artists like you, you know, about their own practice and about these ideas and their own work. Um, so I couldn't encourage you more to do that. I think there's there's so much to be found and to be mined and also just to be understood,
1: you know, mm-hmm. about who we
0: are and the things that shape us.
1: It's so important. It's so important. Um, you know, knowing what I know today about my family it has really inspired me even more to do the work that i do you know it's just part of that there's there's some people who are, who who i've heard people literally say i don't care what, what what's the point of that you know what's the point of knowing all those stories what's the point of even doing of doing genetic tests to not genetic tests but like um the DNA. mitochondrial dna yeah. and all of those things like what's the point so what if you know how does that change your now and for me it does Makes a huge difference knowing, knowing the journey that my family has taken to be where it is. You know, it just—I feel like I'm grounded. I feel like I'm rooted in something. You know, there's a there's a this ground, the sense of grounding that I I can't actually describe so well, but it just roots me and grounds me where I feel like. I really can hear the voices of the ancestors more clearly now because I have some of their stories, you know, and sometimes like, for instance, um, before I knew some of this information, um, when I would work on things, I always heard voices. I always felt like there were people talking to me, not people, but spirits the you know, other world talking to me in whatever that I've done. And I was never able to decipher, that particular voice. or who is that? What who's trying to communicate with me? Um, and just through knowing these stories, actually I've been able to pinpoint that person. I've been I am like, oh I think I know who you are. Oh. You know, I, I know who's talking to me. So just even that, just being able to s- decipher messages and know the ancestor that's communicating with me, um, just guides me in a way where I just I don't feel blind anymore. You know, I feel like I can I really can see. Wow. Um, and it also helps me with a certain foresight that I, I didn't have before. Now, whether it's pertaining to my work or it's just as a human being, you know, maybe all of that, I know it's there.
0: Is that something that came to you through your practice as an artist, or is it something that you were born with and have always kind of been in touch with?
1: hmm both. Definitely born with. Um, my mom is the gifted one. She's the she's the matriarch, right? So she's the gifted one, and passed it on to all three of us, my siblings, me, and my siblings. Um, and I have always sought it out. I have always, you know, as far back as I can remember. I remember having my first altar when I was like six years old. I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like lighting stuff and, you know, pretending to light a candle because I wasn't allowed to, or whatever. <laughs> As far back as I can remember, I was doing that, and I I would say around 14 years old, it like really was intensified for me, and like my whole room became an altar. Um, But honestly, the real breakthrough didn't happen until I started doing my art again uh, six years ago, Mm. Um, and I and I'm certain that's because that's when I was ready to really get those messages. You know, you only can hear and see when it's time, when you're ready. I believe that 100%. Uh, Yeah, and I wasn't ready all those times. It was that the ancestors were like, nah, she needs a little bit more time. And I could have only been ready in a space of being my true self, you know, in 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 a place of not apologizing to anyone about who I was, who I thought I was and the journey that I wanted to take in my life. And the minute you drop all of those things, right, you start to break down those walls and you stop apologizing for your existence and your presence, Um, you put yourself in that light where you can receive.
0: So you said when I came back to art, talk to me about when you first um, decided to call yourself artist.
1: Mm -hmm. I was approaching my last few months of elementary school applying to high schools, and um was being told by my parents that I needed to go to catholic school high school um but because they saw a talent in me they allowed me as the only child to go uh, out of the three to go to a public school so i went to fashion industries because i wanted to be an artist um and then i had a um a mentor who later on told me you know it's not want to be you you either are or you're not um and so at a very young age like like I was 14 when I got into the school that's when I started calling myself artist because I was like well that's that's what I that's what I am um I knew it but the truth really wasn't like you know I was just saying it because it felt like a cool thing to say you know like yes that's what I am it's a romantic idea of being an artist yeah uh, I didn't truly 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 and yes I was I was but I didn't truly start being one until 6 years ago.
0: And uh, what I, does truly. what does that mean truly like what happened 6 years ago what was the shift?
1: The shift was embracing embracing that that was in my actual DNA.
0: Mm-hmm. You know
1: there's a difference to go to school and say I want to be an artist there's a difference to say I you know, there's an artistic way to look and act and live, you know, you can dress your whole life to look like whatever you want it to look like, but it doesn't mean that it's so. And I didn't realize that until I went back six years ago, that I was dressing my life as this artist, creative person. It doesn't mean it wasn't true. Like, I really believed that and I really saw myself as that. But there was a difference, and it took time, and it took age, it took learning um, how to 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 grow up and 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 attain some wisdom. And when I went back six years ago, it's when I, I realized that oh, this is this is what it means to really embrace it, right? Because then it was it was in my DNA, and I and I was like so. I don't I can't do anything else but this. This this is the path I'm meant to take. It's not a style. It is it is part of my my who I am and that's that's the kind of life that I've been living since.
0: So it was a an internal knowing. Mhm. And yeah. then, and then the other thing I hear you say, which I think is really important to pull out is is a willingness to be obedient to that knowing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yes, for sure. I had to apologize to quite a few people in my life for wanting to be an artist. And some of those people were very important to me, like my parents. They didn't think that being an artist was sufficient. They didn't think that I could raise my family doing that kind of work. Right. Um, And there's a and that's true in in, in in many cultures, but I can only speak to Haitian culture. Um, yeah, that's a cute hobby to have. But uh, why don't you want to be a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer, right? Like that's and I understand why where that comes from, but I had to apologize for many years. And so there's a lot of guilt growing up of 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 kind of seeing the path but not having enough strength and courage to get on it because my parents were against it. You know, I was a mother and it's like, I'm not surrounded. I don't have any examples of any artists that are black and, and successful and that I know, like you can look at them, maybe read about them and stuff, but I didn't have that immediate access to those people. So it was just like this abstract idea to even think that I could, uh, support my family as an artist and be happy doing it um and but it, i needed to I needed to find my own true way on that path to get there and that was the difference six years ago it was that i was so um I was faced with so much being a single mother um, in a pre-med program just having a relationship End three months before the wedding, um, hmm. then public assistance. There was so many dire things happening in my life at that time, you know what I'm saying? So I got to a point where I was like, I I don't really have a whole lot more to lose, right? Like I've made some of the toughest decisions I've had to make at this point in my life. And I've had faith and I've I've been succeeding in school. So why can't I just try this art thing, you know?
0: Talk to me about your practice. What is it that Mm -hmm. you do as an artist?
1: I'm an alchemist now.
0: (laughs) You better own it.
1: (laughs) I do. do. Look, I totally own it, but it has a different ring when someone else says it. When I say it, I can't help but laugh at myself a little bit. But, uh, no, in all sincerity... um, my practice is medicine, mm-hmm. um, in every single way. In fact, that's why I went back to art was because I needed some sort of therapy. Um, and I had never up until then seen it as a, a way of healing, you know? And so I think that's, that's another part of the, uh, of the journey to accepting myself as an artist. It, it was, I went to it for healing. Yeah. Um, so my practice involves um, a lot of magic work, a lot of seeing, a lot of seeing. Um, there's a lot of communication and time that I spend um, on listening to the ancestors, like I said before, on you know, thanking my hands, you know, thanking my ancestors for my hands um, and, and whatever talent I might have in them. Uh, or skill set I might have in them, and I, I, I don't do anything without a candle burning in my space. First of all, it has to smell good. Everything has to smell good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See this candle <laughs> right behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I have to have everything smelling good first to to stimulate me and and my senses. Uh, I have to be surrounded by things that, that I love. So I have butterf- like you know, butterflies, I have things that, like, of science. So I have a skeleton and, and spine and things that remind me of the human body and death and, and living. Um, but then even more specifically as it calls, uh, if, when you're talking about you know, my process, with how my work starts, after I've set up my environment to be this magical space, then it's research.
0: Hmm.
1: Everything starts with a tremendous amount of research. Now, it's not it's not traditional research, obviously, because we live in the age of internet and we have access to not only books but you know Wi-Fi and internet. So, my research is always a cross between a lot of books and and researching online and, and whatever I have access to. I am a documentary person. I love documentaries. I can watch like five in a day or more. Um, and so that's also part of my research is watching documentaries. Um, and hopefully one day I'll get to make one.
0: What would you like to make a documentary about?
1: How black women create. Yeah. I'm very interested and fascinated by that. Like the spaces that we have, the spaces that we make for ourselves when we don't have. Um, how how do we create space and time um, to make art? Um, I think it's not a documentary I've seen yet, and I would love to do it.
0: It jumps out to me that when you described your practice, one of the first things you said was medicine because you went to medical school and because your parents had this expectation that you would be a doctor, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and you still made your connected. way as a healer. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm a healer. I, that's mm-hmm. the thing, I'm definitely a healer. And I loved I loved pre-med. I, I really got to a point in school where I thought this is my life and I, because I excelled at it and I was surprised. I didn't think that an artist's brain could do both. You know, it's like you either do art or, or and you're a creative or you do math and science, right? I just didn't realize that you could really do both of those. And when I realized that I, my mind could, I just jumped in it. And, but back to what you were saying or on what you were saying, the I think the deeper meaning in all of that is like the essence of it is that I'm a healer. And that's really what, caused me to even be able to do that, um, was the need to, to heal in some way. Um, and so I'm not surprised that that carries on into my work today, my practice.
0: Um, talk to me about some of the projects you're working on. Um, I know rewriting history has been an ongoing piece for you.
1: Rewriting history, I'm using paper to make paper gowns. Um, and I, I'm talking about also the Constitution, which is one reason why I used the material paper um, and currency, currency to buy human bodies. So paper as a material uh, that has tremendous amount of power and meaning, but only because of the meaning that we've assigned to it. Right. And there was no other material in our world that did that or does that. Um, and so for this new work, I'm still using paper, but then also now going to another thing in, in, in our world that has definitely shaped us, which is religion um, and the Bible. So paper there again, um, because, because when, I'm, when I'm looking at myself as a, as a black woman and thinking about my black identity and culture, I know for sure that religion, Catholicism has impacted me and not only did I go to Catholic school, but I come from a country that is very, very special and, and different in the sense that, yes, you might have 90% of Haitians are Catholic, but everybody practices voodoo. <laughs> right? And they make no qualms about that. Um, so there's, there's something to be said there about, again, that overlap. Um, and what does that do to black identity? How has that impacted black black identity and mine specifically? Mine. So this work is more. I'm not. My goal is not to make a general um, statement uh, on religion and things like that. I'm not. I, I'm not trying to have anyone debate me on, um, you know, Catholicism and voodoo and things like that. And this is my own personal journey as a black girl going. Through Catholic school, coming from a country that I, I just spoke of, um, and unpacking that for myself to see how that how that impacted me, and I think, I'm and you know this is just a, a guess that this this might speak true for a lot of other people, um, and so rather than trying to make a general statement on it, I'm making it based on my experience, guessing that it will it will. Um, it will be a similar situation for a lot of people looking, black people looking at this work also.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the, well, I'm thinking two things. One is that um, the artists that I'm interviewing for this project, you know, I'm talking to us all about the idea of how we make home, you know, Mm. what it means for us and how that influences our work. But one of the things that I'm realizing is as these conversations continue that for so many of you um, who you know I'm friends with, but also fans of, and you're, you're in that, that crew, um, I love your work, um, is, that, is that your work becomes a sort of home for us, for the audience, you know? Um, I know I first came to it um, before the rewriting history series, you were doing these sort of magical realism portraits of Black women, you know, uh, I think a lot of them were happening in Prospect Park, and um, just these stunning images, you know, you. that I looked at. And it's like, they're they're escapist images because they're not rooted in a traditional sense of reality. But I also found home in them, if that makes sense. I wonder how that, how that resonates with you. How do you think about this idea of home in, in, in your work and practice?
1: Oh, wow, that... That's actually the goal right there, yeah, that's that's the goal right there is to it's not to it's not to speak for anyone. It's not to put words in anyone's mouth. It's not to um, misguide, you know, or create a reality that that is just so far from something that we can we can imagine maybe one day being true. Um, it's to create a sense of home, a, a sense of of comfort, and and a, and a place where we can we can reimagine uh, the possibilities, right? I've always my I always wanted my work to to help people reimagine something that they or or imagine period something that they never had imagined before, um, and I could only do that by inserting black women because first and foremost, I am one. Um, And uh, I wasn't seeing enough of that. And like I said before, I think I said this to you before, I'm a firm believer that we can't, we can't, we can't become what we don't see. So if we grow up, never having examples of certain things that we should, you know, it's it's very difficult to ever become that and or to aspire to become that and so you know i was using this very magical way of doing that yes you know by creating these magical worlds in my work to do it but we're magical people um mm-hmm. and I, that was just like the only way that i i could i could say look let's 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 be, let's remember who we are. It's not even just you know like I want to become a magical person. Like this, this is what we are, and this is what we need to see. Um, but when you're when you feel like you're looking at yourself, it naturally feels like home. And I think that you you hit it right on the nail with that. It's like that that is definitely what I aim to do in my work.
0: I think about the wide range of methods that you've used to approach that idea you know, um, even just moving from from photography to paper to sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about you know the materiality and you've worked in your work. You've talked about why paper and what it signifies for you, but uh, talk to us about the range of ways that you approach these themes that you're wrestling with.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I work with paper. I, I work with sheets of paper. I work with paper clay, paper pulp. Um, the material I'm 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 quite fascinated by it and obsessed with it. Um, it's it's um, part of our everyday lives, you know, as part of our world. And so I find myself often trying to push the material, um, and so. The, just touching it, you know, just molding it into my hands. I just, I can't really describe what that feels like, but I, 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 I guess I can compare it to um, feeling like I'm leaving history, you know, of my, of my, of my hands into into something, you know, the the history of each movement of my hand is left behind hmm. when I when I touch this material and I can either try to smooth it out to hide that, you know, that, you know, that pattern or that history or not. And oftentimes I don't, you know, um, and, and just because of the material that I'm working with, it can be hard to to do that. And I, and I like that. I, I, I rather enjoy the idea that the mark that you see there is the mark that I, that I put there and you can see where wet after that and things like that. And so I find myself also loving to work with clay, paper clay a lot, and that's become my um, favorite um, form of, of paperwork now. Um, so I'm, I don't wanna say I'm moving past um, sheets of paper, but I'm definitely more in the space of pushing um, paper clay. So like working with altars, creating altar shrines and things like that. Um, and hopefully, you know, getting to a point where I can build larger, larger sculptures of work.
0: You know, and also the jump that you make, the jump that I'm making, um, when you're talking about the marks that you leave on the world, it made me think not just of like the process of your hand and the clay, but also, you know, a lot of your early photographs were both self-portraiture and also portraits of your gorgeous children you know you. <laughs> i mean it's really like unfair they're <laughs> gorgeous um, but it's it's a it's a exploration of the physical marks you're making on the and leaving on the world literally you know what i mean with your progeny in addition to like the process yes if that's fair does that sound fair to you would you would you agree with that
1: yeah, it's totally, it's totally fair. You know, my, my brother said something to me that was quite funny. I laughed so hard, but at the end of the laugh, I was like, damn, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the piece of, um, the piece titled Passing in, in the Rewriting History collection with my, my eldest daughter, Rain. And uh, it's the piece where she's holding the uh, paper violin uh, with a basket of cotton at her feet. And I had made the frame that the piece was hanging in. Uh, It was this beautiful wooden frame that was um, detailed with ornate gold design. And he's just looking at this, taking it all in. And he was like, you literally made everything in this like <laughs> he, he, <laughs> I just started it just made me think that right I just chuckled because you know he said it with this like funny thing but it was like literally did that from the <laughs> model looking,
0: to the picture to the frame <laughs> that's right he's,
1: <laughs> he's like ain't nothing in this thing that you didn't do that you didn't actually create and give birth to
0: that's awesome <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that what you just said that you're reminding me of that because it's true you know it's like I'm 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 giving life and 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 using that life to uh to to showcase some of the work that I'm 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 showcasing and then I'm also um leaving behind this history in, in 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 the paper sculptures that that my models wear and some of them are my children so there's like This really amazing blending of of those worlds together, Um, which is you know magical. It's just a magical thing for me. I love it. Amazing!
0: Um, You better create a whole new world again.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's always it's always time. (laughs) It's always time to just think outside of the box and say, you know, what what isn't here that's needed and how can I tell, you know, more stories? So, um, but, yes. Yeah. And I'm proud of you, by the way. I don't think I've told you that. <laughs> I, th- I see you, I see you doing really, really awesome, amazing things that are thought- thoughtful, thought provoking and, um, deep.
0: And, yeah,
1: um, I, I, I can see that and that's another thing about the project that I like what you're doing is that, um, I think it's engaging with people in a way that they want to be engaged with, you know, it's so easy to just exist on, on, on the surface of things, social media and all of that stuff. Right. And then even the people that are really trying to do like deeper projects and more meaningful stuff, sometimes it's kind of hard to break through and have it, you know, develop as something that comes across as sincere. Mm -hmm. and but you magically and naturally can do that because one you're a black woman right so you already have access to all that magic yeah and then you're and then you're surrounded by that right you have access to these amazing people that you even put in your project so um I just feel like you're using that for the best and it's amazing it's dope it's timely it's necessary um yeah I think it's really cool I'm proud of it
0: thank you so much I really do appreciate that. It's been such a trip trying to figure out like not only what the lane is, but then, you know, uh, it's like, I feel like I have a machete in my hand and I'm making the path as I walk it and really trying to make sure, like figure out how to do this intersection of, of art and conversation because they're really in hand in hand to me, you know, like these interviews grew out of the painting practice
1: it's so true. It's so true that, it, and that's, and I, I love that. Like you're showing your range as a, as a, as a creative, mm-hmm. as a maker. Um, and even if it takes its slow time to get well, well known by the masses, eventually this is going to be something that is known, you know, eventually it's going to be like, Oh, uh-uh, wait a minute. No, this body of work was here first. And this is what she was doing. This is how she, you know, she was ahead of, of of all of that and documenting this. Um, and I think your project is gonna be, it's gonna be right there
0: in it's conversation. A, yeah, it's an archive and I'm making it with the knowing that it's generations from now that scholars and artists are going to come back to it and have this window into what was happening during this really historic moment, you know, with the people who are making and shaping the culture. Like, how are we thinking? What are we doing? You know, how, how, how are we doing it? You know? And it doesn't mean that I intend to wait generations for it to make its mark. I don't, I'm just very clear that it's a project that also has historic significance and value, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But I wanted to also speak to the moment that we're in as we're in the
1: moment, you know? Well, you've done it, you've done it, and you've done it, and you've done it. Check, check, check so the pandemic thing is done with and we have we have made it to the finish line unscathed um we can have a drink or two uh, let's get all in, the uh, drinks Minute.
0: <laughs> yes all right i appreciate you sis thank you for today
1: this was really good you thank you thank you i hope you got what you needed absolutely okay so i'll speak to you soon yep Okay.
0: Big Bye. Bye. Because. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover the show. You can follow us on Instagram at Lineage Podcast and visit LineagePodcast.com for more information about this project and to watch my new meditative film, We Hold These Truths. It features reflections on Ancestry from Season 2 lineage guests and was produced with the Park Avenue Armory. The lineage logo was designed by Tony Moore Images and the show's theme music is composed by Cody Gottbeats. For more from me, head on over to shawneyjamila.com and stay tuned right here. New episodes drop every other Tuesday.